the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Prayer like you have never seen before, and a response to that prayer. That is what we are looking at here today as we turn our attention to Revelation chapter 8 on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church right here in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, who takes us today to Revelation chapter 8, message entitled Prayer and Destruction. It is a look at the prayer of the saints, and exactly what they are praying for is what God answers with. Join us for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner. Today we're still looking at the context of this book with seven seals that God from his very throne placed into the hands of Jesus, the son of David, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the only person qualified to take this book and administer its contents. We saw in chapter five that this book was written on both sides It was filled up with words, and it had seven seals. And we saw that it was a book that had been already explained for us in the book of Ezekiel. And it contained all of God's covenant curses and covenant blessings upon his people. All apostate people would receive covenant curses, and God's faithful people would receive covenant blessings. That was all in this book. So Jesus Christ, from right out of God's hand, is making sure that all the enemies of God's people receive the curses that are promised them because of their assault on the church, and that all of God's faithful people will receive the blessings that were recounted there, most particularly from Deuteronomy 28. So then in chapters 6 and 7, You see the seals being broken, and every time a seal is broken, there is more judgment poured out upon apostate Israel. And remember, that is the motif of chapters 4 through 11, which is how God is destroying apostate Judaism of the first century and other apostate churches and organizations that treat the people of God like ancient Israel treated the church in the first century. If you want to distill the theme of the context of this book, it is that Jesus Christ reigns. It is that Jesus Christ is in control of everything. It's not the apostate or the Caesars that are in control, but Jesus Christ is in control of all things. That is the main point of the seven-sealed book, which is not only foundational to the church's faith and hope, 
but also foundational to the church's courage in times of persecution. When it looks like everyone is against them, the church can be comforted in knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is in complete control. And any kind of persecution or disturbance that we see in history have as their purpose the cleaning of the ground, the moving away of the rubble, so that the kingdom of God can advance throughout the whole world. Now notice how the chapter begins. Interestingly, it begins with a half an hour of silence. Now remember, the first verse of the first chapter of the book of Revelation tells us that we are to take everything in the book figuratively, not literally. Everything in it is, is, is true. But if all of a sudden you find something that you think should be taken literally, you've got to come back to your senses and realize that this might be what I prefer for it to say, and maybe even heard this is what it does say. But Revelation 1.1 said it was written and communicated in signs and symbols and figurative language. So this great judgment that we see is about to fall in Revelation 8 begins with silence for one half of an hour. Now, what does that mean? Well, do you realize that in the prophets, there is a mo- often a moment of silence before a pouring out of God's wrath, sort of to heighten the suspense and to heighten the drama. Let me show you. Turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk 2. In chapter 2, he pronounces woes upon the enemies of God's people. Habakkuk 2. In verse 9, he says, woe to him. Verse 12, woe to him. Verse 15, woe to him. Verse 19, woe to him. Then in verse 20, notice how it ends. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Those woes are about to be administered. So we're going to have a lull before the storm to heighten the suspense of this judgment. Turn to Zephaniah, which is the very next book. Right next to Habakkuk. Zephaniah chapter 1. Here again you have the prophecy of judgment on Judah. And notice how it begins. Verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is near. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guest. Then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes, the kings, sons, etc. But there is going to be a moment of silence first to heighten the suspense. Now turn to Zechariah, which is just two books over from Zephaniah. Zechariah chapter 2. 
Zechariah, yes, sorry, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 13. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So this idea of a moment of silence before judgment begins to fall is a common literary device in the Old Testament prophets to heighten the suspense and drama of judgment. And that's what's happening here in our text. And think about this for a minute. Say you're John the Apostle, and you're on the island of Patmos, exiled, persecuted because of your love for Christ, and you're getting fast and furious these revelations, these visions, one right after another, and they are quite lucid. There are trumpets blaring, harps playing, there is singing, one thing after another. And then all of a sudden, 30 minutes of total silence. Now, for one, if I was to be silent for 30 minutes and not listening to anything, that would heighten something for me, I'm sure. But 30 minutes... No visions, no music, nothing, deafening silence. And you'd wonder, what in the world is going on? And that is the point of the silence here in chapter 8, verse 1. Now in verse 2, we hear, we hear some trumpets blast. I saw the seven angels who stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. Now, trumpets played a major role in Old Testament life and religion. They played three specific purposes in the Old Testament. Number one, trumpets would call the people of God to assemble for work and for worship. We see that in Numbers chapters 10 and 29. When worship was about to take place, the Levites would blow trumpets Trumpets were also used by the people of God to call them to a celebration of victory. We see this in Psalm 47, 5. God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a skillful psalm. God reigns over the nation. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have assembled themselves as the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. In other words, the enemies have been defeated. And all of their shields are piled up at God's feet. So the call of the trumpet is to call people to a celebration of God's victory over all his enemies. And then also a trumpet was used to call God's people to war. We see this in Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. And there is about to be a tremendous conflict. And so the trumpet is blown. Now in Jeremiah chapter 4 verse 19 we read, My soul, my soul, 
I am in anguish. Oh, my heart. My heart is pounding in me. I cannot be silent because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. So those are the three purposes for the use of trumpets in the Old Testament. One, to assemble God's people. Second, to celebrate God's victory. And third, to call God's people to battle. In our text, trumpet can be used for any of these particular purposes. A calling of God's people to celebrate the fact that Jesus does reign and that he has accomplished victory over all of his enemies. As a call of the people of God to be alert, to be on guard, to be vigilant, because the war against the world is starting as it never has before with the fall of Jerusalem. And trumpets, when they're blown like that, are exciting for everyone. I mean, it's exciting when all of a sudden the trumpets blast after everything has been so calm. Now everyone is excited. Everyone is ready. And that is the point of the seven trumpets. Now, let me ask you, what do seven trumpets maybe remind you of? Well, I hope the fall of Jericho. Remember the trumpets blasted and the walls of Jericho crumbled as the people of God marched all around it? And what was the significance of the fall of Jericho? That was the great fortress that guarded the entrance into the territory of the Canaanites. And before Israel could take the land that God had promised them, That fortress had to come down or there was no way they could invade the land. So the destruction of Jerusalem is God's way of saying that land is yours to take. Victory is yours. Go in and take it. Now, one of my favorite passages in the Bible is from verses three through six of Revelation eight. The trumpets are blasting. And now we have an interesting story in just three verses here. And another angel came and stood at the altar. And remember, that's the yard right outside the temple. That's where the altar was. He was holding a golden censer, which was literally a little Petri dish-like thing. And much incense was given to him that he might add to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and he threw it on the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashings of lightning and an earthquake. Now, use your imagination. Because this is a vivid picture of the place and power of prayer in the plan of God. You have this great altar. An angel comes. He has some incense. Smoke is rising from the little Petri dish. And then that incense mingles with the prayers of the saints whom we read about in the previous chapter who were martyred for the sake of Christ 
and made it through the great tribulation. So their prayers and this incense floats into heaven. And when those prayers and the smoke of that incense reaches God's nostrils, all of a sudden, the angel takes the censer, fills it with fire from the altar and throws it down to the earth. And then there was much thunder and lightning and earthquakes. Well, the first thing to notice is the context of these prayers from the saints. Incense in the Old Testament was a symbol of prayer, but it was also symbolic of Christ's intercession going into the nostrils of God. And it is Christ's intercessions mingled with our prayers that make our prayers acceptable to the living God. So what is the content of these prayers of the saints? Well, we learned that in chapter 6, verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? There is the content of their prayers. It wasn't for healing of the sniffles. It wasn't a prayer for relief from a hangnail. It was a prayer that God would vindicate himself. Now, sometimes God wants to hear about sniffles and hangnails and things like that. But the focus of the prayers that caused such a disturbance on earth were prayers that God would vindicate himself. God's name had been mocked, and those who bore God's name were being persecuted. And now God's reputation is at stake. So the saints are praying, Lord, it is because we love you. We're not just seeking relief from our injuries. That's not really the problem. We want vindication for your name which is under attack and is being slandered at this very point in time. Look look with me, if you will, at Psalm 79. Psalm 79, verses 8 through 13. O God, the nations have invaded your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the dead bodies of your servants for food to the birds of the heavens, the flesh of your godly ones to the beast of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water round about Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a reproach to our neighbors, a scoffing derision to those. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. What should the nations say? Where is their God? Let there be none among the nations in our sight. Vengeance for the blood of your servants which has been shed. Let the groaning of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power. 
preserve those who are doomed to die. And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom the reproach which they have reproached you, O Lord. So we, your people, and the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. To all generations we will tell of your praise. You see, their primary concern was not their own discomfort. It was not their own agony. The fact is that these people who are suffering so intensely are God's people. And is he not to uphold and to protect them? Does it seem they are being protected? The world is saying, where is their God? It apparently seems that their God is not. So they are praying, God, deliver us from our oppressors, from those who would kill us. Because your reputation is at stake. I think one of the reasons that we're still in a time of serious decline and apostasy in the United States is because Americans really don't know how to pray. Oh, we pray for all kinds of things. A number of years ago when I lived in Modesto, Pastor Smokey Stover began a time of prayer on Wednesday mornings, and it was pretty well attended. Then he and I decided to add to our prayers to pray for our local, state, and federal civil authorities. And it was mainly for God to move their hearts, to honor God in all that they did. And attendance began to diminish So we went back mainly to praying for hangnails and sniffles and such. Attendance began to increase again. I think that one of the reasons we are where we are is because we do not pray aright. God says, seek and you will find, ask and you will receive, knock and it will be opened unto you. And we are still in the mess we see in this country because God's people haven't learned how to pray and ask for what God tells us to ask for. Take the prayers from the Bible and pray them yourselves. Lord, vindicate yourself. Your name is mocked in our culture. It's mocked in the political arena and in our educational institutions. Your name is even mocked in doctor's offices and in the media. Everywhere we turn our heads, you are mocked and your people are ridiculed. Lord, show these people there is a God in heaven who truly cares about his people. Vindicate yourself. Let them know who you are. Come and rise and defend your reputation in the protection of your people. I truly believe that once God's people begin praying like this again, we will see definite changes here. In fact, notice what happened in our text. Revelation 8, when these prayers for the vindication of God's name mingled with the prayers of Christ reached the nostrils of God, all of a sudden everything broke loose on earth. 
Verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire of the altar and he threw it on the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashings of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first one sounded and there came trial and fire, etc. Sorry, hell and fire, except down through verse 13. That was the result of the prayers of the saints. Fire cast from heaven on earth in the destruction of God's enemies. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866. 866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 